You're listening to Heroes of Healthcare, the podcast that highlights bold, selfless professionals in the healthcare industry focused on transforming lives in their communities. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Heroes of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Ted Wayne. Today, we're concluding our three-part series on medical innovation. The two prior weeks, we heard from Dr. Blaine and her work with cancer cure medications, and Dr. Mechikini and Anovis and her work with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. This week, we're joined by Dr. Stephen Gowdy, who is a pediatric ENT doctor. I believe the technical term is otolangology, but I can't really pronounce that, so I defer to ENT, ear, nose, and throat. Dr. Gowdy is the vice chairman of research at Emory Otolangology, growing the departmental research portfolio. He's a practicing and experienced surgeon, a division director of a large multi-site ENT surgical practice. He's also the CMO and co-founder of Dr. Knows Best, a content-forward company focused on delivering the best education and novel product solutions to improve us upper respiratory tract health in children. Any of us who have had young children know that um, colds and the child not being able to breathe is never a, a fun evening. Additionally, Dr. Gowdy is CEO and founder of Ordidivis, a company focused on bringing regenerative strategies to oral wound healing that harness the body's immunology capacity. I'm excited to dive into our third part. Dr. Stephen Gowdy, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we're going to get into some um, great great things in terms of talking pediatrics. And I always try to say it, otolangology. I think I said that close to right. And, close, uh, yeah. Or, or ear, 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 nose, and throat, right? I, I'll, I'll go to ENT. That might help me get through this a little bit better. But um, And talk about some of the things you're seeing in the pediatric world there and some of the innovations that you're working on. Um, and even just some of the challenges that come with, uh, pediatric innovation and it, uh, ties really well into a lot that we've been talking about on the show. Um, but before we jump in, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into medicine and what has made you so passionate about what you do? So I have always been kind of a science geek or science nerd. So I like science. I like mechanistically understanding or putting together how A plus B plus C equals D. Uh, and so being involved in and studying the science of biology, the science of medicine, I'm an extrovert. I like talking to people. So it was a natural fit for me to be a physician where I'm talking to folks, figuring out what the problems are. How does their A plus B plus C equal the, the D or the therapy that's going to help them? Uh, I chose pediatric uh, ear, nose, and throat or otolaryngology because I like kids. Kids in general want to get better. They don't want to sit around the hospital. They don't really complain other than the fact they want to get out of there. And ENT specifically because the anatomy of the head and neck is very intricate and it involves a lot of the senses. So your sense of smell, sense of taste, hearing, all of those kinds of things are relevant to our specialty. Um, and you know, it allows me to be an expert in a relatively narrow niche, uh, and, and that, you know, love for science, love for kids has driven my interest in innovation, interest in research. And 
commercializing therapies for children. Yeah, and I, and I know you take on a, you've been doing some work with um, former guest and friend Josh uh, Honaker, Dr. Honaker, and his parent MD. Uh, tell us about a little bit of the work you're doing there. Yeah, so Josh and I went to medical school together. He uh, similarly is focused on children. He's a pediatrician and also an entrepreneur and innovator. And the problem that he's trying to solve is the gap in getting the right information to families. As we all are constantly barraged by Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all those things, in addition to WebMD, the, the question people have is like, well, who's right? This person is telling me to put onions in my kid's socks and that's going to make them better. Where, where Josh and I are trying to bring and distill to families in a curated way what the best evidence is. As a, again, as a science nerd, you know, you can have all the theories you want, but until you bring evidence, I'm not going to be moved or, or persuaded in any way. So, and I think most families want, you, you know, they want to know what you would do if it was your kid. That's what they ask me all the time. And so they want to know what I would do, right, for their kid's specific problem. And I think that that's the barrier uh, that Josh and Parent MD is, is trying to break down is providing that direct, to the point, evidence based, you, you know, information for parents to make decisions uh, is, is the, you know, is the, the nuance and the value of, of parent MD over Google searches and, you know, random people on TikTok telling you to put onions in their sock. Right. Right. No, it's great. It's great service. And I know he's getting more and more momentum behind it. So hopefully uh, that will continue to continue to grow and, and provide parents with a, a good source of information that's very focused on uh, children, which obviously um, as, as we say, when you get, bring the child home for the first time, you didn't, doesn't come with a manual. So it's nice to have a place to go and, and work things out. So we appreciate the work you guys are doing there. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, some you were talking uh, in our pre-call about some of the challenges you have, you see within pediatrics kind of going on. Obviously some of it is just connected to medicine as a whole, but there's also a lot of innovation coming out in medicine and uh, would love to hear how pediatrics is, is uh, accelerating in those areas and where they're hitting some bumps or some challenges. So in general, if you think about new therapies that come out, they're typically addressing adult type problems just because the market size is bigger. You know, the, the great part about being in America is we have a lot of innovation uh, and a lot of entrepreneurship. The tough part is that people go after the biggest fish. And so because the long road to product development or drug development or so on, 10 years or longer, and it costs tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to recoup those costs, the reward for the companies developing those technologies has to be really, really big. And so the good news and the bad news is that pediatric therapies or problems don't represent this huge market size. And so in general, if a company is a, a deciding to address a really huge problem or a medium or a small size problem, they're going to go after the huge problem because there's going to be huge reward. Whereas for the children, oftentimes it's a relatively smaller group of patients 
who desperately need a cure, desperately need a therapy, but they don't represent a big enough problem or a big enough financial uh, upside for the companies to develop drugs or therapies for those patients. And so there really is that gap. Uh, there are people like myself and others that are focused on bringing those innovations, uh, one of which is some of the new medical therapies for cystic fibrosis, which have drastically changed the outcome and lifespan of patients, some of the patients that have uh, cystic fibrosis. Uh, but again, that was sponsored by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and certainly uh, came, came about in a way that's, I think, hopefully opening the eyes to the greater market about the profitability and the help that you can generate uh, by taking care of pediatric problems. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I know even in my own personal situation, my, my wife has a neurological um, issue, but it is a very subset of <coughs> Parkinsonism and, you know, different motor skill things. And the doctors say the same thing, which is, you know, there's maybe five to 10,000 people who are getting this a year. So it's just not getting the research dollars. It's not getting the time um, or the medication comes out and it becomes extremely cost prohibitive because the market is so small and to recoup it, um, you know, and I'm sure it's a very, it could be a big, long conversation, philosophical, but is there an answer? Because as we talk about safety and efficacy, right, that's part of the time process. You know, when you talk about, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to bring a product to market and the time, as we hear on this show, often you know, five, six, seven years, and we're in trials and you, but you got to do the trials because you want the safety and you have, you know, all of that that comes in. Is there, is there a faster path? I mean, we saw it with COVID with the, uh, with the vaccines, but obviously that was in a global crisis. Um, you know, don't think anything, other, hopefully we don't have to go through that again. Um, but what are some of the obstacles? Are there certain things do you see as you've started to delve into this process that you feel could be alleviated or streamlined? Well, I think that there are ways in which the government is trying to address that. I think one of which is the orphan drug uh, or orphan disease um, category, whereby these smaller pockets of patients, if somebody is to develop a drug, for example, for your wife, their patent extends farther than a normal patent. So if more you are, time you know, so the, right, there's more time to recoup it, but it's still the likelihood of getting a drug through the FDA to commercial viability is really, really small. And so the economics drive a lot of the conversations that we have. Um, I would say places like Emory where I work and other medical universities are trying to push more technologies out of the medical centers. Uh, there are a lot of barriers to doing that um, as it relates to technology transfer offices, you know, being aligned with, with technology transfer versus holding on to technologies, uh, I think is, is a challenge. Uh, Stanford has been a leading uh, university as it relates to technology transfer and developing um, companies and other things. So, you know, there are government programs like the Small Business uh, Innovation uh, Research Awards and 
uh, tech transfer award. So, so there are ways in which you can get money to de-risk and scale uh, a, a company to, to make a drug available. But ultimately, I mean, that's a ton of resources. Coming up with 10 or $100 million is not trivial and means that you're going to have to get institutional investment. So venture capitalists, et cetera. And most university professors don't, they don't have any experience in that. So one of the things we're doing at, at Emory is developing a curriculum for uh, innovation and entrepreneurship so that the people that are doing the research, as you said, are also understanding the commercialization part on the back end. You know, so hopefully that will help like a rising tide will float all boats. Um, right. I had a, com- a conversation this morning with somebody else uh, that works with the University of North Carolina that is doing a similar thing. So hopefully we'll start to see some of the research get pushed out more quickly from the universities uh, and then use the local ecosystems to to see whether there's there's merit to those those findings or not. You know, right now, those those types of endeavors only happen in Boston, New York, Palo Alto, et cetera. But there are more and more hubs of technology that are getting built up around the country so that in, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, as an example, somebody that I know is out there trying to build that up. So where how can we have this this lift across across the country where people are are getting those technologies out? Yeah. Has there has there ever been I'm sure that somebody's kind of done a bit of a study, but, you know, there's probably really good medical products that are sitting on a shelf somewhere that couldn't get the funding, couldn't get the timing. Um, you know, I think interesting, Dr. Gowdy, I'd love you to talk about is that you have your MBA and you have the doctor and you've talked a little bit in our prior conversations about what you go from the CMO to the CEO or the CEO to the CMO, right? right. And those are done there two very different hats. And having spent a little time in tech uh, startups, equity, you know, I know the the venture capital guys, especially not private equity, but the venture capital guys, they kind of have that one one moonshot out of 10, right? Invest in 10, uh, seven will fail, two will be break even, and one will be the moonshot. They make the big returns on the moonshot, but it still means seven ideas, <laughs> you know, or in this case, medications or some sort of health aid are are falling. Is that similar in the in the niche of healthcare? within the venture or the investment world? The, the answer is, is complicated, right? So for somebody like me who spends most of their time treating patients and, you know, doing research before getting my MBA and really before starting up a company, just didn't have a lot of exposure or a lens through which or how, how VCs work, how angels work, all those kinds of things, you know, and, and universities try a little bit to educate you on that. There's something called the Kaufman Fast Track course that talks about investments and equity and the valley of death and all those things. But universities as a whole don't do a great job of helping commercialize and push products out there just because their incentives are not aligned as such, right? You know. They're not investing in 10 companies knowing that one's going to be a moonshot, right? You know, for, as an example, one of the, the folks that I work with here at Emory, Dr. Dennis Leota, has come up with antiviral therapies for 
HIV and for hep C and COVID, you know, so when he talks, they listen because they know the addressable market of all those diseases is humongous. And so it's billions of dollars. But if Steve Gowdy, you know, invents a nasal suction device that sucks boogers, they're not very interested or motivated to, to necessarily help that because they don't understand it. They don't even know if it's defensible, but you know, for me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a booger doctor for children. And so I knew that this was a gap in the market. You know, that's how we started doctor knows best. You know, we have grown, uh, 400%, our company has grown 400% over the last year. Uh, and you know, through that being in an incubator, I've learned a lot, but you know, happy to dive into the CEO to CMO transition or if, or stop, hear it if you have other questions about some of the things I just said. No, no, let's jump into that. I'd love to hear about, you know, what is, you know, doctor knows and what, yeah. what is it, what does it do? Obviously it sucks boogers, which uh, you might yeah. need to work with your marketing person on some better <laughs> nomenclature for that, but yeah, it's well, not, you know, yeah, but uh, you know, but yeah, talk, let's talk about that. Let's, you know, how has that transition been and, and, and what have you learned? And, you know, obviously I'm sure what you'll, some of what you'll say is when you go in uh, to those ventures, you kind of jump in the deep end of the pool and it's a sink or swim. You know, you, you don't, right. you don't know what you don't know sort of thing. Right. So I think one of the primary things and one of the advantages I have in being a pediatric ear, nose and throat doctor is that I'm meeting with my consumers all the time. And so, and I had three kids, so I know that there was not a good solution. So there was a problem, meaning that the most sophisticated, as you said, when you get kids sent home with you, there's no, there's no manual. Right. And so all of a sudden they can't breathe. Most people don't even know that kids before the first, for their first birthday are typically nasal breathers or obligate nasal breathers. And so they, if they get a bad cold, they can't breathe, they can't eat, they can't sleep. You don't sleep. And so you're get, getting sent home with this bulb syringe, which is not very hygienic, doesn't work all that great. Your baby screams or another device where you're hooking one tube in your mouth, one tube in their nose and sucking, sorry, but sucking boogers, literally. Um, and so for me, I, you know, that to me is not good enough, right? As a parent, as somebody that owns, a, you know, an iPhone that costs a lot of money, you know, I know that for my child, I would want something better. I, I expect something better. And so Dr. Knows Best was, was developed on the premise that parents needed and wanted and deserved something that was better. And so our first product, the NoseBot, was a portable is a portable rechargeable nasal suction device that has hospital grade suction. And the nuance is that you can hold their face and suction the nose simultaneously where everything else occupies your whole hand. And so um, those combinations of features and benefits really is disrupting the nasal suction device for babies and we're building a brand around parenting uh, in, in the health and wellness space of the upper respiratory tract. So our second product uh, is going to be coming to market this year, which will be a humidifier. And so, again, it's addressing, you know, and, and providing that information. So we talked about parent MD. You know, most people don't know that babies are obligate nasal breathers. Most people don't know that the humidity level in your child's room should be between 40 and 60 percent. So giving parents not just a tool, but also information and best practices and evidence-based medicine, you know, really, really that's my job is to be an educator of families, right? And if I sell some degree of them a differentiated product solution that 
makes their life better, so be it. But, you know, I think Josh and I feel very passionate about getting the evidence to people so that they know how to take care of their children, you know, and, and then building a business around it. So that's what Josh is building his business around, uh, you know, and because we're delivering value. It's not because we are, you know, greedy physicians and we just want to make a bazillion dollars. I want to bring people real value, right? Because there's no reason at, in, a, in 2022, almost 2023, you should be using devices to aspirate your child's nasal secretions that that haven't been innovated in 60 or 80 years, right? Um, yeah, so I think that that's, that's one of the, the things that I guess I get on my soapbox about is really bringing that value to families through education, through providing best practices, and then for us on Dr. Knows Best, selling a differentiated product solution. So, so let's get into a little bit of the business side of it, right? You talked about going from medical to business. So I would assume the path for Dr. Knows Best sort of product or even just your current available product is either through grassroots, you know, bang on doors, social media, selling, uh, you know, uh, I sure, I'm sure Josh wants a few banner ads on, on parent MD, you know, and where you can promote it to get the word out that, Hey, there is a better way. There is a better product or through somebody who already owns the pediatric channel, Johnson and Johnson. I'm just thinking of, you know, names here who have sometimes are, are Procter and Gamble who are associated with children's products and let them be your channel or an acquisition or whatever. Um, so when you are you and your team are sitting around the table saying, Hey, we got a great product that's working. We're getting great reviews. How do we get this out? Uh, what are you guys talking about? So, and I think that that nicely correlates with my change in roles, right? So we're in an incubator space in Atlanta, uh, called the ATDC, uh, and they're great. They, I pestered the heck out of them for for probably six months to let us in. They took us in with a caveat of us becoming a brand versus a single product company. And so I didn't really understand that and kind of the whole philosophy of lifestyle businesses and those those kinds of things. But as we grew, as we kind of got adoption, you know, we approached the adoption uh, piece in, in several ways. One, I'm a pediatric ENT. I have lots of friends in every state who also do what I do. So I sent it to them, asked them to see what do you think? Is this, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze, if you will? And and again, getting those key opinion leaders to validate it, to give suggestions um, was was a, an important part of our journey. Uh, and and then as, once we realized that, hey, this is significantly better, it is now what I consider to be the gold standard nasal aspiration for babies, um, you know, how do we grow the company, right? So all of a sudden, which was like super fascinating for me. I love it. It's a combination of, you know, it's the biology, right? It's the biology of how things fit together in a business, how you scale a company. But I soon realized, uh, and the incubator helped me, I wasn't, you know, there's a CEO to go from zero to a million. There's a different CEO that takes it from a million to a hundred million or whatever. And so my, my time had come, right? It's like, do I want to work full-time in the business you know, or, or really not even that is, am I the best person to work full time in the business as a CEO? And that answer was no, right? Because I hadn't done it before. I mean, I'm, I'm gritty, I'm tough and I'm persistent, 
you know, I, I mortgaged my house. I did a lot of things to get the product to market, but I wasn't the best person. And so, you know, at that point, it, it became clear that we needed to find that person to your point. Like, how do we scale and grow the team? What channels do we need to be in? You know, do we, do we set ourselves up for an acquisition? You know, what, how do we do all that? That's not like, Hey man, I, I don't, I know how to operate. I know how to get boogers out of the nose. I know how to take tonsils out of the throat. You know, that's my area of expertise. That's my core competence. And so it, it was honestly refreshing. I mean, my only caveat to, Christy Brown, who's the, you know, a tried and true CEO has done VC has done, you know, startups, you know, it is, it is a, you know, woman entrepreneur that's taught lots of other women entrepreneurs, how to scale businesses. I was like sold. The only caveat is I want to learn how to do this. I want to understand it. You know, I want to grow right, that. I want to come along for the ride. I don't want to, yeah, I, don't yeah. want to sit, I don't want to sit at home. I want to come, I want to be in the back seat. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and the nice part is, is that she needs me. So she can't, I mean, she demoted me, but she can't really fire me, <laughs> you know, because I bring uh, the education part to our community. Um, sure. And again, and it brings yeah. the product credibility and value. Right. Right. So, but, but that, I mean, I, you know, I listen to podcasts a lot, you know, mm -hmm. uh, including this one. And I think there's a lot of good information out there for curious people on, growing a business, you know, I mean, the startup hustle is a great one, you know, because we're in e-commerce, uh, there's something called e-commerce fuel, you know, and you listen to people telling stories about things and understanding, you know, I, I read a lot of the Harvard business review part. So I, you know, and part of it is really understanding yourself, right. And being honest with yourself because, you know, there's so many, I can see, and I can still feel like, Oh, I'm missing out. I'm not the CEO. I'm not in charge anymore, but it's also really cool and delightful to see where we're going and how we're helping people and listening to, you know, the, the stories and the feedback of, of families that tell us, Oh, this has helped my baby so much. You know, my baby had a heart transplant and we used to get hospitalized all the time because of colds and illnesses. And now with your device, we don't have that as much anymore or something. So, I think it, most of it's in here, right? Most of it's in your brain, like figuring out how to like both and versus, you know, this or that, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's been, it's been fascinating. Well, that, well, that's great. I mean, obviously you're a, what I call a lifelong learner, right? In other words, you never, you know, you enjoy the, the learning process. Um, I, I'm very much like that. Um, so, which has its, as has its strengths and its weaknesses, right? Uh, sometimes I'm not the D I'm the idea guy. I'm not always the detail guy. Um, but yeah, and most companies will, uh, do better. The ones you hear the case studies of are the ones where leadership recognizes when it's time to, to move on. And a lot of companies crash and burn because leadership couldn't let go. Um, you know, the expression, it's my baby, uh, and it's tough to, it's, it's a tough thing to do. And in a lot of ways, it would be like taking one of your children when they get to their teen years and going, I'm not very good at this teenage stuff. I'm going to give you to somebody else, you know, or I guess they call right. that boarding school, <laughs> right, some cases. Right. but you know, I'm going to give it to somebody else to do because I'm just not very good at this. But, you know, with the, going back to the business concept, it, at some point it gets to a size where it's bigger than you are. And it gets a life and a breath of its own. And it's it's your responsibility to to pass it on to where it can continue to thrive and grow. 
Let's talk about a little innovation. So you talked about another product. What else? Where do you see? So Dr. Nose has the nasal aspirator working and it's starting, you're continuing to grow and you're getting some growth and a lot more to go there, but obviously new products and new innovations. And where, what are you guys looking at? Uh, again, our, our CEO likes to call it, we're building out the, the operating system for the baby suite. So sensing, measuring, controlling uh, the environment around your baby to the best of our ability, because you know, for those of us that have had children, you know that like that one night where your kid sleeps 10 hours in a row, you're like, okay, that was amazing. How do <laughs> right. I recreate that? What are, what were the key components uh, of that journey? Right. And so, you know, and, and, and bringing optimization to that, right. I mean, you know, we don't want parents being overloaded with data and information, so partnering with Josh and Parent MD and some of the other folks that he has on that program say, okay, as a physician, right, as a pediatrician or a GI, pediatric GI doctor, allergist, you know, all of the people that Josh and I know, you know, what's useful information? Like what could the parents bring to you that's useful, right? Because there are, there are products on the market now where they're collecting data, but in general, the, the medical community hasn't said that that's helpful and oftentimes is just worrying the families unnecessarily. So really bridging that gap between the tech development world and the physician world. And like, what is it that you really need? You know, how can we add value to that doctor patient relationship so that, you know, you know, and the, and the parent baby relationship, right. It's like, you know, cause babies, they can't tell you what they want. Right. But you want to optimize them because sleep is restorative for, for you and your child. You know, you, particularly as a first time parent, you don't know if things are normal or not. So really uh, providing, you know, cyclical or mutual benefit to all of the stakeholders uh, is the, is the ultimate goal, you know, um, as we grow and get closer to the baby, you know, there's lots and lots more re regulatory hurdles. You know, our nasal suction device is a, uh, a medical device and we have to follow quality management system. There's lots of things involved in that. So, you know, we're still, we're still very much a scrappy startup. And so, you know, we're growing in ways that, that add value to parents, but also don't require, you know, 10 years and a hundred yeah. million dollars to get yeah. there. The, uh, the normal path to getting a, an, an FDA approved product to the market. Well, and, but doing it in a way that, that respects, both the, with the parents desire for information as well as the physicians desire for information, right? Because, you know, quite honestly, there's certain, certain products that are on the market now that, that absolutely don't add value at all to physicians workflow or, and, and worry the parents unnecessarily, which I don't think is the right thing. Right. You know, so, so, but again, that's where the value proposition of Dr. Nez Best comes in because I'm a physician. I'm still meeting with families, you know, working closely with Josh. You know, I can help us navigate that journey of how, how do we differentiate ourselves, provide value to families as well mm -hmm. as their physicians. Mm -hmm. So so what are the areas are, do you think we're going to see innovation in pediatrics that are coming down the down the road? Obviously, um, I think you talked about even as for Dr. Knows humidification improvements and some of those sorts of things, which haven't been necessarily looked at for many years. But what are some of the other things 
uh, across the board, not maybe not even just with ENT, but what are some of the big pediatric advances that you're you're hearing about or, or seeing be put into put into play? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people that are that are chasing the biometrics of everything, right? You know, you have an Apple Watch. You know, people have tried to monitor and measure babies you know, heart rate and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, you know, babies aren't training for triathlon. So heart rate variability, that kind of stuff. I'm not sure, you know, that that's going to be useful per se, but really there's huge industries around sleep, around feeding, uh, breastfeeding, you know, all those kinds of natural, normal things. Um, there's big communities, both on social media, uh, as well as caregivers, that have grown up around addressing and, and optimizing those. Cause we, you know, because we don't live as a big commune anymore and families, you know, there's disbursement. And so you have to get that knowledge um, from people in your communities, you know, as a, as a provider um, of medical care, you know, my, I, there's a, a lot of information, not all of it's good, not all of it's evidence-based. And so, our hope is that we will be able to address some of those um, less than validated therapies and provide best therapies uh, to families. Um, because, you know, one of the things about having a baby and being a first time, particularly a first time parent, you, you're very mm -hmm. vulnerable, right? right? You don't know what you're doing. You're scared. You know, if somebody that you're easily mm -hmm. taken advantage of. So, so, so new parents, are identified as a vulnerable population. And so one of our goals is to address that vulnerability, you know, through through the development of kind of an omni-channel data collection, data processing, you know, partnering with physicians to give them the information. So as an example, you know, you come to your pediatrician because your kid has a cough, but they don't really know, you know, is it a dry cough? Is it a wet cough? Did they cough one time? Did they cough a thousand times? And so, you know, figuring out like, what is, what does a pediatrician really want to know, right? What, what will help them, you know, putting that pattern of things together so that they, you know, is it whooping cough? Is it a normal cold? Like all yeah. those kinds of things. How do we collect the information for the families, right? Cause they don't really know what they're hearing and then deliver it to the provider that adds value and they don't have to ask them 40 questions, you know, um, is just one example of how we can integrate into a, a healthy system for families and their and their pediatricians or their yeah. caregivers. Well, and your source is also from probably an under, you know, a sleep deprived, panicked uh, parent right. who's giving trying to give the information to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician's trying to ferret through what's emotion, what's fatigue, and what's real. <laughs> Correct. So. I guess the last piece is just, again, you know, you talked about it a little bit more and just, you know, the, the journey. So kind of what's next for you and your role, uh, both as a practicing physician and, and the, the product piece and, you know, kind of give us a little sight into the, into how your you know, you continue to talk about your transition. Um, but what does that look like for you probably over the next couple of years? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I think it, having a, a, you know, a growth mindset, which relates to taking on new roles, responsibilities, uh, both in my day-to-day -day job, 
at a children's at children's healthcare of Atlanta and Emory University. I think that I will continue to grow there. I think the MBA has been helpful to me to think about strategy, marketing, market penetration, you know, efficiencies, making making the best care available for for children that are uh, in our region it will continue to be a focus, and hopefully, we'll be able to scale scale that as I, you know, develop additional skills and, and have a greater impact across more pediatric care. Um, from the doctor knows best, uh, you, you know, company, I think de- helping develop and think through different products, different offerings. I have a TikTok channel, so you can go check that out. So I post just about the random things that I do and, and bring education and best practices and, and have fun with that. We'll share that. We'll share that on the website. So yeah, we'll, we'll take that information so people can go see that. Uh, I also have a research lab where we focus on tissue regeneration, bone regeneration, and the impact of the microbiome on oral wound healing. And so I do have a, a company that is focused on leveraging an existing drug. Uh, so it's repurposing a re, an existing drug to control oral wound healing. And so it's another part that I'm really, I'm really passionate about is, is developing novel therapies for children. Um, because I know, you know, and with, with the hope that it'll apply to everybody, but certainly my focus is on children and, uh, and bringing something like that to market, just because I think, you know, doctor knows best and the nose bot, which is the nasal suction device, you know, is direct to consumer. So that's a very, singular skill set. That's a, a more, yeah, it's a more direct path. Whereas doing drug, drug discovery, drug development, you know, as we talked about, takes lots of time and lots of money. So, so again, I don't see myself being in charge of a, a drug company 10 years from now, but I'm hopeful that I can be on that ride to see if we can get this drug off the ground and de-risk it and, and potentially get it you know, get it to clinical trials, you know, see how it does. Hopefully, you know, five or 10 years from now, I'm making some kid's life better because I was, you know, stubborn enough to push this through to make make their wound healing better, make them have less pain and those kinds of things would be really impactful for me. Yeah. Having impact there. Yeah. It's right. How do we leave, how do we leave this world a little better than we found it? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. Well, Thank you so much for taking some time and sharing with us. Um, I love the doctor entrepreneurial uh, mix that um, you're clearly demonstrating here. Uh, you know, I can see what, you know, you guys met in, in med school, but I can see why you and Josh have a kindred spirit because you guys are, <laughs> are definitely of the same cut from the same cloth. But, um, but we wish you the best of luck with Dr. Nose. We'll continue to follow that and, 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 and help share the news on that as it goes. And, and, you know, we wish you the best in your endeavors. And as new things come on, you know, please reach out. We'd love to continue to be a channel for you um, and your innovations uh, as they're coming along. So just uh, the last thing as we wrap up, as I always close this, the shows with, uh, is my famous question of who is your hero, whether it be now or growing up, who just who comes to mind? So I did my pediatric ear, nose and throat fellowship at the University of Iowa and my mentor there is a, a guy named Richard Smith. Uh, he is a, an amazing person. He did he did everything. He did research. He ran a fellowship. 
he spent time with his kids. You know, one of his kids had a rare kidney disease. He wrote an NIH grant, got funding for it, and has been part of a team of folks trying to discover a cure for that disease, which I think is really cool. You know, he he's done a ton for the medical community. You know, he's an expert in hearing loss and he probably discovered, you know, 15 or 20 new different genes that cause hearing loss. So he's really had a very broad impact, very humble person. Wow. Uh, he gives of himself. I walked away from that. You know, I spent just a couple of years working with him and, and never watched, right? So if you're around somebody that's amazing, you know, you're always trying to figure out what they're doing. But but now I realize it's like, how did he do it, right? Like I would call him like, okay, well, how do you do, how did you set this part of your life up? How did you set that part of your life up? Because it's the how, right? I mean, the what you're going to, you know, if you put in 10,000 hours, you'll probably get there. But it's like, how do you do it and be a good person? How do you do it and be a good dad? How do you do it and, you know, be home for dinner or, you know, or be in the community, you know, the how part. I think I, I didn't spend enough time learning that and that, you know, he, he is definitely somebody that, that has left the world a, a better place already in multiple ways. No, I, I love that because that balance piece is hard because you see a lot of people who are brilliant business or b- brilliant uh, physicians and unfortunately just have a, a bad home life, you know, or, or divorced or have strange children or, you know, things like that. And, and it's, it's, it's so hard. Right. And, um, you know, I, I know when people have younger people that I've coached or mentored have asked me, you know, have you, have you been successful? I'm, I'm going to be married 35 years and I've had a, a great career and I've been blessed beyond imagine it's, it's just, you got to know when you're out of balance. That's what, what I learned. What I always used to say was I want to be balanced in life. I want to find balance. But what I realized was it was realizing when I was out of balance, giving, putting too much time into work, putting too much time into a hobby, putting too much time into, into family where work was suffering, that it was identifying when I had to, to pull one thing to get back into balance it was kind of what I figured out because you're rarely in balance. Something you're always, you're always right. leaning one way or the other. The vision I always put is a, you're standing on like a basketball with a wooden plank on top. You know, there's only a little bit of time when you're at that fulcrum where you're perfectly balanced. At some point, you're always kind of teetering. Um, so I appreciate that he was somebody who uh, Richard Smith stood out to you as somebody who seemed to do it well. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think like for me personally, you know, what you're describing really resonates with me because it's it's really about self awareness, you know, and and creating vulnerability you know, with yourself and with your family and your work colleagues. Right. So they can like, if you like some of these brilliant people you're talking about is like, they've created scenarios where they're not self-aware. They haven't created vulnerability and people around them are like, I'm not telling you that you're out of balance because you're just going to bite my head off. Right. So. Well, thanks again for your time and uh, your interest in our, our show. And, and uh, we just look forward to continuing to follow you as part of our community that we call the heroes of healthcare. Thank you very much. It was great to talk to you. You've been listening to heroes of healthcare for more subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, or visit us at heroes of healthcare podcast.com.